0: Good morning. Um, we have been talking about different things in John, going through the book of John. But today we want to talk about you must be born again. Now, for the for the average Christian, that's where we all started. But I feel so excited about this topic today about you must be born again. You know, when you're watching the news or you're watching shows, there's always these shows where uh, someone who is misplaced at birth you know, connects with their birth parent or, you know, there was even a new show or something where two two people were switched at birth and now they're getting back together and they're, they're making a whole show about this. But it's interesting that um, we were all stolen at birth, that we were robbed from our place and our trust with God. And some of you know what that's like, maybe having an absentee parent or father, mother figure. And so you have a, a, a little bit of an emptiness and so you've learn to uh, put up walls of protection and maybe even a little be a little defensive about, you know, that, that parental figure. And God, he comes to us through Jesus Christ and he wants to restore that place of trust and that place where we were stolen at birth by Satan from being able to trust God and have relationship to, he wants to, God wants to help us restore that place. And so we're talking about you must be born again. John 3 today is where we're going to start back uh, in the 70s and the 80s you know when Billy Graham was really you know he was at the forefront of the evangelism in the world and especially in our country and you would see people at the end of his message he always had a simple salvation message over you know 40 years it, it was pretty basic pretty simple pretty repetitive But there was an incredible anointing and power of the Holy Spirit that was in his meetings. And when he would close after that one-hour service, you would see people get up all over the stadiums where he would hold those crusades. And people would trickle down to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Powerful experience. Uh, I mentioned to you last year when I uh, went to Nigeria that... um, Reinhard Bonnke had come five months before, and over two million people camped out for a week uh, to in that anticipation of the meetings. And uh, so many people in Nigeria, uh, in this place where, where we were shown where he met, accepted Christ. And there's a great anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's just like uh, it says wherever there's a testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy is there you can imagine when Jesus went about the different cities, talking about the kingdom of God and preaching the good news and healing people, there was anointing. There was a a, a visible and, uh, well, not visible, but I guess you visible when you look at the miracles that he did. But there was an anointing of God's presence that broke into the hearts of men and women and children and captured them and caused them to respond to that message and change their whole life. And that's what we're going to talk about today. You know, and we started off this year, we're praying and fasting. We've seen a number of miracles happen in our, in our midst in the last six months. And uh, we talked about discipleship. We talked about the Holy Spirit. And uh, we, we have just come into this place of talking about miracles for like 11 or 12 weeks. I feel like this is probably the greatest topic we could talk about in the Bible. Because Jesus said, that all of us, we must be born again. We must have a spiritual change happen in our life where God breaks into us, breaks in through and down deep in our heart and our spirit, and causes us to become aware of spiritual things and our need for God, and at some point causes us to respond to that message. So I just want to pray this morning because I really believe that God wants to pour out that anointing. Maybe you're here today, maybe you've been in church your whole life, and Maybe you think you're saved, but you're not sure, but you've been a good person or you've gone to a certain religion and God just really wants to uh, solidify you today that you you can know that you are born again. Lord, we just acknowledge your presence and Lord Jesus, even as we're talking about you, we know that you're going to manifest your presence. I pray that every person in this room would leave here today assured that they have made a commitment to you and Lord, they are walking. And I pray even today, if there's people who have never made a commitment to you and asked you to come into their heart and believe that you died for their sins, that today that would happen and there'd be life transformation. God, we ask it in Jesus' name. So you can turn to your Bibles. We're going to start in John 3. Our key verse is John 3, 7 and 8. And I, I'm reading a lot of my stuff out of the Amplified Bible. Marvel not. This is Jesus talking. Do not be surprised or astonished at my telling you, you must be born anew, born from above. Now we're going to start in John 3, 1. Now there was a certain man among the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler, a leader, and authority among the Jews. Nicodemus means conqueror of the people. Nicodemus was a real scholarly man he was a man of great learning for his times he studied in new scriptures and he was a a member of the Sanhedrin he was a member of that Jewish uh group who um they uh held trials in courts over people in their uh living circumstances and they were part of that ruling group that spiritually kept the Jews uh, on track with the word of God in the, the Old Testament um you know, the things that Moses had passed on the law. In John 3, 2, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know and are certain that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs, these wonder works, these miracles and produce the proofs that you do unless God is with him. In the references, in the, uh, to some of the commentaries, that, it says that Nicodemus was linked to um, John 2 where you know Jesus had done turned the water into wine and then he had gone in and started his ministry and remember he went in and cleansed the temple. When he started that three and a half years of ministry, the first place he went, remember last week we talked about, he went into the temple. He went to his people and he presented them, himself to them and he began to address the things that were not right. They were religious, but there were things that they were doing That were not right, their hearts were not right. So he went into the temple, he was trying to make adjustments in those people who were trying to sincerely follow God. And so already something is going on in this religious leader. There's already something that he's recognizing about Jesus. Automatically, he's calling Jesus rabbi. So there's something in his heart that's connecting. He's not dead in his religion, but there's something stirring, and he's wanting to know who this Jesus fellow is really, really about. And he already has this revela- revelation that the miracles that Jesus is doing means that he is come from God, just like the word we just read. Have you noticed that um, he came at night? Some of the commentaries uh, suggest that, well, maybe Nicodemus was really concerned about Jesus not being disturbed in the ministry. And so he he snuck in there at night and uh, he put off maybe doing some of the things he would do for himself at night, like maybe resting or kicking back. But he took time to seek Jesus out when Jesus was at his leisure. He took time to be able to interact and communicate with Jesus at a time where maybe there wasn't a whole lot of people around. Jesus had enemies. And we all know from reading the Gospels that the enemies that Jesus had were really the spiritual religious leaders of the day. They were his biggest uh, people who were in opposition to what he was doing. Also, Nicodemus, he came unknown to his colleagues, to those religious leaders who would later kill Jesus. Nicodemus, another reason why he had to sneak away is because He didn't want to lose his position. He might have been afraid of what they might think if he was to go there in broad daylight, you know, and be hanging out. But he was investigating, and he he wanted more of God, but he wanted to make sure whatever transition was happening in him spiritually that he wouldn't jeopardize his his standing with the fellow um, scribes and Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. Let's read John three three. Jesus speaks about the necessity of spiritual rebirth. Jesus answered Nicodemus, I assure you, most solemnly I tell you that unless a person is born again anew from above, he cannot even see, know, be acquainted with, and experience the kingdom of God. You might ask that question to yourself, what is the kingdom of God? You know, what is this Uh, thing that I'm getting saved out of or saved from to go into and in Romans uh, 14 17 Paul describes the kingdom of God that it is righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Spirit and we understand the kingdom of God is a kingdom that is stands outside of our time has always been and always will be it's a kingdom of uh, beauty and perfection uh, with colors that uh, we have never even seen before, with no war, place of perfect peace, a place where there's no sickness or disease, a place where the streets have gold on them, where uh, some of the uh, walls are described in such beautiful layers of uh, different stones that are precious, uh, pearls, uh, a gate, uh, the size of a pearl, so it must be a, the hum- most hugest pearl you ever saw. Now I wonder where that... Uh, was it an oyster? Where that oyster? And what, how big was that oyster to get pearls like that big? So it kind of uh, ignites in us like a hope of something better. The kingdom of God. It's a kingdom that's promised to us. Even though right now we're in this natural world and we're pretty much connected with this natural world and we're worried about everything that goes on in the, in the natural world. But Jesus comes to assure us about the kingdom of God. And I think one of the strongest messages about eternal life is what Jesus talks about in Luke 16, where he really describes there is a place of hell and there's a place of torment that was made for Satan and the fallen angels, but also because of the being robbed at birth and and Satan stealing everyone, that each one of us must come to Christ and have our sins forgiven just by accepting what Jesus did for us on the cross. And that's the initiation point where we are born again, where we start our spiritual life. In John 3, 4, Nicodemus said to Jesus, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter his mother's womb again and be born? Again, Nicodemus' weakness, you might say, would be his knowledge. Okay, he has this head, and Jesus is talking about being born again, and all he knows about being born again is how we're born into the world. You know, our mom births us, you know, and he says, Hey, you know, can I go back into my mom's womb again? Matthew Henry wrote, Those who are proud of their first birth are hardly brought to a new birth. Nicodemus was of also high social status. He had rank and privilege and honor. Again, coming to Jesus at night, again, fearing maybe the loss of his status. The poor sinner on the street had no problem about what people thought about them and they rushed to see Jesus. They came with their needs. They came with their broken hopes, with their discouragements, and found that Jesus was someone who lifted their load and brought them into an incredible uh, place of hope. And I'm sure they felt the love of God like we feel at times when God just moves on us by his Holy Spirit. In John 3, 5, Jesus answered, I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, Unless a man is born of water and even spirit, he cannot ever enter the kingdom of God. I want to show a short clip of a little chick being born. You know that was in a few moments but time lapse photography it's, it takes a while for that chick to be born that chick has to fight and you think of how we're born into the world and all of us have a different story of you know what we've gone through and some of us have gone through a lot of hard things and you know when we think in our mind it might have be nice just to start all over again and we think like wow but we can't go back and be be born like a baby again and yet no matter how sinful our past has been, no how, tra- how traumatic it's been, how we've been victimized or how people haven't been there for us or our parents haven't been there for us or circumstances haven't been there for us or f- poverty or you name it, sickness. God has a big smile and he knows that if we were allow ourselves to be born again, become alive spiritual, that the greatest changes can happen in our life and that we can really be new creations in Christ. And for some of us, You know, we fall over and over again. But Jesus said, even if a righteous man, the word of God says, if a righteous man falls seven times yet, he will rise again. Because God, as that spirit of God comes and helps us be born from above, God enables us and empowers us to be able to get up and come back and start over if we have to, no matter how many times coming before God, getting the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness so that we can start a new life change the way we are and allow the Holy Spirit to help us and correct us where we keep doing things wrong. In John 3, 6, what is born from the flesh is flesh, of the physical is physical, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. You know, during... World War II, so maybe some of you have heard this story, but, you know, Cory ten Boom, you know, her family in Holland, they they uh, kept s- different Jews, you know, during the occupation who, when the Germans were seeking out, you know, Jews and trying to kill them. And they would hide, you know, people at, for different lengths of time and then release them into the underground. And um, one day, things were getting heavier and harder for those who were hiding the Jews. And the pressure, because the Nazis knew that people were being kept and smuggled out, that in the, in the town where Corey was, uh, the presence of and, and letting people know that if anyone was caught helping the Jews, that there would be serious reprimands. And the pastor uh, of the church where the Ten Booms went was a little bit scared about what was going on. And uh, Corey and her dad were talking about, you know, wh- why, why is this guy not you know, more interested in trying to save people and everything. And Corey's dad dad said, um, just because a mouse lives in a cookie jar doesn't make him a cookie. And it's that thing where a lot of times, even though we're in church or we've grown up a certain place, maybe we put our rest, our hope, our security in a church that we attended or maybe even money we've given or the good deeds that we've done, that that becomes our place of security. A lot of people are living today, especially in our society. Uh, they're giving a lot of money. They're really cause oriented and trying to help people, which is all great. But Jesus says the only way that we can have our eternal security is by being born again. It's by being born from above. It's by experiencing that love of God that comes into our heart. And, and I really think for us as believers, there are so many believers here today. This is a really an important message for us. This is really the key of why why we're even coming here. That we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and we have a promise of eternal life that we are going to be free from the judgment that's going to come on the world because they haven't uh, received their forgiveness and received eternal life by coming into that relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as negative as things are, and if we could ask every person what they're facing right now, we could probably end this meeting thinking like, wow, this is heavy duty what people are going through. But even with all that we're going through, what an incredible promise that we have that someday we will be with Christ forever and things will be better than we could ever imagine. Matthew Henry wrote, What is that is required to be born again? We must live a new life. Birth is the beginning of life. To be born again is to begin anew. We must not think to patch up the old building, but begin with the foundation. We must have a new nature, new principles, new affections, and new aims. We must be born both again and from above. We must be born anew. Our souls must be fashioned and enlivened anew. We must be born from above. This new birth has its rise from heaven. It is to be born to a divine and heavenly life. Again, the same one who reaches down from heaven, who reaches from that spiritual realm and comes in and draws us to himself also is the one that begins to change our life when we give him permission. And as we read the word of God and uh, we examine ourselves and see where we're not measuring up, it's in our simple surrender, in our prayer of seeing where we are deficient and asking God to come and do that work in us where we are transformed and changed. We are, uh, free moral agents, we have a spirit, we have a soul, two things that you can't touch or, or necessarily put your hand on, and we live in this body. But it is our will, our will is our key ingredient that we give God permission to do whatever he's going to do. We must yield our will in those areas where we see we're deficient, where the Holy Spirit can continue that same work. If God did that work from above where he touches our heart and he draws us into that place of relationship, it is the Holy Spirit. It is our relationship with God and the word of God that we're taking in that is going to build our spiritual life and that spiritual foundation of truth that changes the way we do things. Um, I, I say it under our next section, the single most important event in one's life is to be born again, is to make that choice. Um, if you're here today, I want you to just think about that. What, what were the circumstances that drew you in? What kind of uh, senses did you have in your spirit when God began to, to reveal his love to you? I can remember when I was eight years old. Those of you who've been here for 12 years, you've heard this many times. I was eight years old. It was Christmas time. I was the most selfish little kid that there could ever be. But this Christmas was different. The Holy Spirit began to pour his love into me like never before. And and he began to fill a place that I didn't even know uh, as an eight-year-old kid that could be filled. And And from that moment on, and in the next couple of months, when, when an evangelist came, and I couldn't tell you what he said, but at the end uh, of his message, and he gave an altar call, I can remember uh, feeling like God wanted me to respond, that it was my time to ask Jesus Christ to come into my life. It was my moment to say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness of my sins. I know I'm a sinner because I was born in this world, and uh, blood that's passed on from Adam and the sins of Adam were passed on to the whole world. And so I went forward and asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. And that was the most profound decision I've ever made. In fact, it was that decision that led me even to be a, become a pastor eventually. I could not get away from the love of God and from the presence of God and for the wonder of who God is and how at times he just manifests himself you know, to me personally. And uh, it, it's just so amazing to to um go through different things, and especially a couple weeks ago I told you how i I, I struggle sometimes with opra- depression, and um I can remember sometimes just going through my most painful moments, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just moved on me, and I just start crying because he comes and and he loves me just where i 'm at, and it's those moments where God continually refreshes us and speaks to our spirit that continually uh, assure us inside that we are members of the body of Christ, that we are part of His kingdom. And we are being prepared and changed daily as we walk with him. So John 3, 7 and 8, again, marvel not, do not be surprised, astonished at my telling you, you must be born again anew from above. And then we have a second clip. But can't you see? What a miracle that God allowed us to see something like that. You know, we've always seen those little hairy caterpillars crawling around. But then when they go into that place where they weave that cocoon around them, it's like, they, it's like a literal uh, picture of Jesus going into the tomb and us going into that tomb where we are dead to this world. And that, that little caterpillar is doing nothing. And uh, as far as I know, I'm not a caterpillar. I don't know if he's thinking about anything, but he goes into this sleep but there's a total metamorphosis that happens. There's a total life transformation that happens. And that earthbound creature, it's turned into that beautiful butterfly that is able to fly. And I really believe that God has given us as a picture of what being born again is. That we're we're shaped in, in sin and we're uh, just, I mean... Sometimes it's our circumstances that even bring out more of our old sinful nature where we get into all kinds of stuff, but it is incredible work of God that brings life transformation. We have so many people in our church that have who've had life transformations since coming to Christ. That Their their past really is their past, and they're living differently than they, they've ever been. Uh, even my wife, I can remember seeing some of the videos when she was just a wild, uh, drug-crazed <laughs> person, you know, broken family, broken life, and I just looking at those old um, videos of her and seeing her new life and knowing how different she is, it's almost like I look at that and I think, that isn't even the same person. And that's that transformation that happens, you know, when we receive Jesus Christ. Verse 8. The wind blows and breathes wherever it wills, and though you hear its sound, yet you neither know where it comes nor where it's going. So it is that everyone who is born of the Spirit. Matthew Henry wrote this. The corrupt nature, which is flesh, takes rise from our first birth, and therefore the new nature, which is the spirit, and must take rise from a second birth. Corruption and sin are woven into our nature. We are shaped in iniquity. It is not enough to put a new coat or a new face, but we must put on the new man. Paul writes in Ephesians. Again, Paul was one of those religious persons. He necessarily wasn't this wild sinner, and yet... You know, he was a sinner. He needed to be saved. He was so uh, zealous that he was out persecuting the church, uh, putting, putting his stamp of approval, like when Stephen was martyred for his faith and stoned to death. He was right there holding the coats of those who were stoning him. He wrote this after his transformation. Put off concerning your former conduct in Ephesians four twenty two 22-24. The old man. Put off the old self, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, the new self, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Peter writes in First Peter one twenty-three about a believer's beginning, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Again, it's the message; it's the word of God. Remember, two weeks ago when we talked about uh, John one. In that first chapter, it talks about that the word became flesh. Jesus, who was in the beginning, who was the living word of God, who was part of that word of God that was spoken and created everything that was created because God spoken into existence, that Jesus, the living word, came and manifested himself so that people could see that he was relatable as a real man and yet he was all God and that he came and brought the truth. And it's that same truth when we receive the word into our hearts and we keep looking into the word that we're convicted and we take that conviction and we respond to the Lord. And again, that transformation in our life continued takes place. In John 3, 9 through 10, Nicodemus answered back to Jesus asking, How can all this be possible? Jesus replied, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not know nor understand these things? Are they strange to you? Again, this was, so, uh, this was like radical new truth that he was giving them. All they kind of knew was how things were tracking. Jesus coming on the scene and doing miracles and raising people from the dead were totally just blowing their mind about how they knew uh, how to relate to God. Having knowledge about Jesus does not mean we know him or that a person is born again. I was thinking about, uh, you know, just that salvation experience. Everyone has a different experience. I love that we're not just cookie cutter. Everyone has their own experience. I was talking to a pastor uh, one time, and he was talking about his, his life experience and ho- how rough it was. And he was talking about how as a young young man, he really young child, he came home, and he was pretty happy-go-lucky, but he happened to walk in and find his father had, had killed himself. And he talked about how from that time on, he, he ran the streets. He got into drugs and alcohol and gangs. And he just, you know, was in juvenile hall. In fact, we were talking and uh, he was thinking maybe he was in juvenile hall when I was down there working at juvenile hall in the between 75 and 85. But it was interesting to have him tell his story. And he said, you know, I just got tired of my life. And he said, somehow I found myself in a church setting and I, I went forward and I accepted Jesus so I could be born again. And he said, you know, when I went up, I didn't feel like anything happened. And, I, and he goes, I left there and thinking like, well, I guess it's not working for me because there was no sparks, no, no lights. But he said he, he was cruising with his friends and uh, they were, you know, drinking and, you know, smoking stuff. And all of a sudden he said to himself, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? I'm doing this stuff and nothing is changing in my life. And he said that was where his life began to change. And he said, really, what I did, even without feeling when I said, Jesus, I need you. I need that life change. That's when it all happened. So whether you have sparks or no sparks, whether today you just commit that, you know what, you need a Savior, and it's Jesus Christ, you can do that today. In John three eleven through 13, I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, we speak only of what we know. We know absolutely what we are talking about. We have actually seen what we are testifying to. We were eyewitnesses of it, and still you do not receive our testimony. You reject and refuse our evidence, that of myself and of those who are born of the Spirit. If I have told you of these things that happened right here on earth, yet none of you believe me, how can you believe, trust me, adhere to me, rely on me, if I tell you of heavenly things? And yet, no one has ever gone up to heaven, but there is one who has come down from heaven, the Son of Man, Himself, who is and dwells with and has His home in heaven. I I can't imagine what it was like to be living in that time where Jesus was revealing what has been mystery. And even today, we have our scientists trying to figure out everything else, but Jesus has already come. And he's already revealed the mystery about eternity, about life after death. And he came and Jesus made uh, a definite um, historical record that someone came and was born and died and rose from the dead and came back to tell people about eternity and about what they need to do to be born again. In John three fourteen and 15, just as Moses lifted up his servant in the desert, on a pole so must so is it necessary that the son of man be lifted up on the cross in the old testament when they were going through the wilderness the people were in sin and disobedience and serpents came out and started biting them people were dying and moses said put a serpent make a make us like a image of the serpent and put on a pole and raise it up and whoever would look to this the poison that was going in their body immediately stopped and they they didn't die they didn't get sick And it was that type in the Old Testament of looking to Jesus who was crucified on a cross for our sins. And as we look to him who was lifted up, who took upon himself the sins of the whole world, our ability to be born again comes into our life and we begin to live that new life. In John 6, 44, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws woos him, and I will raise him up at the last day. In John 3:16, For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he ever gave his only begotten son, his unique son, so that whoever believes and trusts in, clings to, and relies on him, shall not perish, come to destruction, or be lost, but have eternal, everlasting, unending life. God did not send Jesus to judge the world, John 3:17 and 18 For God did not send the son into the world in order to judge, to reject, or condemn, or to pass sentence on the world, but that the world might find salvation and be made safe and sound through him. He who believes in him, Jesus, who clings to, trusts in, relies on him is not judged. He who trusts in him never comes up for judgment, for there for him there is no rejection, no condemnation. He incurs no damnation, but he who does not believe, cleave to, rely on, trust in him, Jesus, is judged already. He has already been convicted and has already received his sentence because he has not believed and trusted in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He is condemned for refusing to let his trust rest in Christ his, in his name. In John 3, 19-21, the basis of judgment The indictment, the test by which men are judged, the ground for which they are sentenced, lies in this, that light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light, and more than the light, for their works and their deeds were all evil. For every wrongdoer hates, loathes, and detests the light, and will not come out into the light, but shrinks from it, lest his works, his deeds, his activities, his conduct, be exposed and reproved. But he who practices truth, who does what is right, comes out into the light so that his works may be plainly shown to be that what they are wrought in God, divinely prompted and done with God's help and dependence upon him. Will you stand? We're going to close just a time of worship and just you can just be thankful for your born-again experience. But ask God to give you just a, a fresh realization of what you hold in your heart. I really believe we're so often inundated and overwhelmed by our life's problems and our concerns that we don't realize that the people around us are hungry for a Savior, that they need that same promise of eternal life, that they need to be born again also. And who knows, if just we're more aware of it, the people around us, we might be able to share our faith in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't mean they have to, they have to uh, sign up right away or, you know, pray that prayer with you. But I think of that thief on the cross, that at that last moment he had that opportunity to remember who Jesus was. Even as he was dying, he was able to turn to Jesus, and Jesus told him that, that he would be with him in paradise. Sometimes we think, oh, a person ha- has to do all these things. But there is, it's very possible that there are going to be people that you are going to be the last person to speak with them, and you can tell them, even, I- even if they're resistant, that if they call on the name of the Lord if they're in trouble, if they're at that point of even going to die, if they call in the name of Jesus, that he will be their savior and he will extend that forgiveness of sins.